It's amazing to be part of a family. Family is this. Kids running around. And do you know when you go to... Oh, first, very good morning. <laughs> so good to be here. If you're watching on YouTube, good morning for you as well. My name is Danny. I'm part of the leadership team of this local church. You are in Crowley Community Church. Uh, and we like this, to be a very informal environment, to have this environment as a family. Uh, as, as I was saying now, if you're, do you know when you go to visit some relatives, some friend, and their house is so organized and tidy and sad? <laughs> <laughs> we don't like the church, don't have to be a museum. Uh, can be a friendly environment. So we're very informal, relaxed. If you're here about the first, second, third time, or just getting to know more about the church, we are not pretending to be a perfect church, but we are very intentional and be a family and to embrace you and your family and your kids. So feel free among us. And now we will spend the next few minutes uh, sharing the Word of God. And I want to invite you to open your Bible with me in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you don't have Bible, we have here in the big screen behind me. And we finished last Sunday a series of five teachings. And we name it... Um, um, oh, I forgot the series. <laughs> Church of uh, Faith on My Terms. Customized faith. Customized faith. It's the age. Yeah. <laughs> I create this series in every other day. This is age. Oh, actually, talking about age, this uh, week we had someone, a birthday, doing 30, 30 years old. Ben, in the very back. 30 years old. Welcome, Ben. <laughs> the good thing to turning 30 is you are not turning 40. It is great. Uh, so, Customized Faith was the name of the series we finished last Sunday, and today we are starting a new series of teaching. Today is just a, a foundation, a base, an introduction for the next five teachings uh, that we are talking about. But let's go for the Bible first. Let's read Romans chapter 1, and then I will be explaining about the series that we are starting today. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God. The gospel is not only a message. The gospel is not something that I can manipulate. The gospel is not something to make me happy. The gospel is not something to make, make me with a good behavior. It's the power of God. I cannot control. It's the power of God. It's, there is something supernatural in the gospel. The power of God that brings salvation. The power of God to bring salvation. It's not the power of God to help, help me to buy a new house. It's not the power of God to help me to heal my emotional wounds. It's to bring salvation. It's another level. It's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. It's not everybody who believes. But those who believe, the gospel is the power of God. For salvation, for everyone 
First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You need to understand this. In those days, everybody was Jew. Jesus, the apostles, the church came from Jerusalem. So in those days was something new to have someone not Jew believe in the gospel. And they gave the name of Gentile. For these guys from other nations, other backgrounds, another culture, another language, another religion. The gospel is salvation for those every kind of people. Those who are not from this church. Those who are not evangelical Protestant. Those who are from another background, another mindset, another... Believe about God. Because one thing is to have faith. Other thing is to believe. Okay, I have faith that God exists. But the things that I believe about God is another thing. And the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. If I want to know more about God... Is in the gospel. It's not in every kind of message about Bible. It's in the gospel. It's not in the preacher uh, or the preaching of that preacher. Is in the gospel. The centrality of the gospel is not the centrality of the preacher. It's the gospel. The righteousness, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not a secret. It's revealed. A righteousness. That is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous you live by faith, not by emotions, not by opinions, not by, oh, what I'm feeling today. Today I'm sad, tomorrow I'm happy, after tomorrow I'm sad again. These emotions, no, it's by faith. The righteous you live by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word. In the next few minutes, we will share in this. Holy Spirit, only you can bring the power of God for this word and these scriptures. Otherwise, you'll be just a text in a book. But if this text comes together with your living spirit and your power can change our minds and hearts. So I pray for this this morning. Amen. Man, if you're watching at home, uh, I want to ask you to stay with us here, looking to this device that we are using now. If you're watching on YouTube later on, just stay with us the next few minutes. We will be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just to make you understand and to help us in our understanding about what you're talking about the next five um, Sundays, Today, we are talking about the, this new series. Um, I'll ask for the guys to, yeah, the five pillars, thank you guys in the back, the five pillars of our faith. We finished that series talking about how our society and our generation was affected and the things that we believe about God. So we were using the next, uh, the last five uh, teachings, many uh, Ideas and thoughts, things, enlightenment, uh, and we have all these very clever quotes from guys from our culture, since Mark Zuckerberg until um, Nietzsche, and everything that was shaping our culture to understand things about church, commitment, pleasure, God, faith. 
But from now on, today, we will start to do the other way around. We start to share with you why we believe in the things that we believe in the gospel. And, and because sometimes we just take for granted. We, we are used to, okay, we go to the church, we open the Bible. But sometimes we don't understand why we believe in this kind of, and, and this is a weird word, doctrines or teachings about God. And why we believe in those things, where it came from. So today is a foundation base for the next five that you help us to have the whole picture about God, faith, church, and why we believe in these things. And we call these pillars of our faith. So the pillars of our faith. And then our next slide, I think we have, have yeah, this word is a Latin word called sola. Sola is a word that means alone or only. And we have the five solas, the five pillars. So, uh, sola scriptura is only the scriptures, scriptures only. Sola fides, faith only. Sola gratia is only the grace, grace only. Or solus Christus, only Christ. And soli deo gloria, glory only to God. So, this is the, the Latin versions because someday in the past, some guys, they, they were together and they were thinking, okay. We are Jesus' followers. And you know when you have six Christians and you have seven opinions about, okay, how is God? And some are Protestants, some are charismatic, some are traditional. So we have every kind of church and names and brands and everything. So these guys in the past, they had this, just summarizing here, many meetings. And they said, mm, in the future, I think we will have a problem. So, let's put something here to be a foundation or a base for our faith. And they summarize this in these five teachings and five solas. That's why they are the pillar of our faith. And in other words, if you go to streets here for the Baptist church, our friends, they believe in the same five solas that we believe. And if you go to another nation or to my country in Brazil, and if you go for another church there, they believe in the same five solas that we believe. There is something there. It's a core, it's a base, it's a foundation about our beliefs and what we think about God. So let's take a time machine now and travel to the Word of God since the book of Acts. We finished the last Sunday talking about Acts chapter 2, the birthplace of the church, the upper room, and then what happened in the book of Acts. So, in a few words here. From Acts chapter 1 into chapter, uh, chapter 7, the gospel was just in Jerusalem. In, gospel act, uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, Hey guys, you go to the ends of the earth. You go to preach in many different nations and many different places. But for now, stay in Jerusalem. And they stayed there from Acts chapter 1 until chapter 7. But then we have the greatest missionary in the New Testament. Do you remember his name? The great missionary? Paul? Paul? No. Yeah, Holy Spirit. <laughs> But from this point, between 7 and 8, another guy, Nero, the emperor. Why? Let me explain for you. From chapter 7 into 8, they were so happy to be in Jerusalem. They were so happy to be near to their, 
I don't know, relatives and mom and dad and they are there, comfortable. And to the point, they were not, uh, we are not going out anymore, let's just stay here. And the mission of Jesus and the other nations, guys like us, we had no access to the information of the gospel. But the church was so, and that was the word comfort zone in Jerusalem. Everything was easy in Jerusalem. Come on, I know how works the oyster card. I know how works to do everything in my daily life. Why am I going to another place? Let me stay here. So, behind the scenes, in heaven, God pressed a button and he starts something on the earth called persecution. Come on. And these Roman emperors started to persecute the Christians. And then they were running around. They were scattered. They went to many different nations. From Acts, Acts chapter 8, they went in this place called Samaria. And there was a revival in Samaria. If you read in your uh, home later on, Acts chapter 8, you see a lot of things happening in Samaria. And now, Paul's come back in the film. And you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus was in Samaria. And the Samaritans, they were listening to Jesus for, for three days. Jesus preaching in Samaria. Now, I'll come back to Acts chapter 8. The gospels arrive in Samaria. And from Samaria, in chapter 9, we have this guy, Saul, or Paul. He had a great experience. He was in this road that today is Syria. The country is there, Syria. And then he had this powerful encounter with Jesus. Now, the gospel starts to be spreaded and preached for the Gentiles, for those who are not Jews. And I have lots of problems here and confusion and discussions. But then in Acts chapter 10, the gospel arrives in the house of this guy called Cornelius. And then we have an amazing thing happening. They received the Holy Spirit in the same way that the apostles of Jesus received in Acts chapter 2, in the beginning. So in the same way, in Acts chapter 10, some guys who are not Jews, who are not from the same church, who believe in different stuff, they receive the Holy Spirit as well. And this, for the this followers of Jesus, the disciples, was something crazy. You can imagine if you have a friend from another religion, not from another Christian church, from another religion, who believes different than you, and you are in the cough break, in your workplace. And this guy, he has a thirst of God, but he doesn't understand, he doesn't understand the gospel like you. Uh, suddenly he receives the Holy Spirit. For us, sometimes we think, oh, the Holy Spirit belongs to the Christian church. No. He's free. He's like a wind. Yeah. He's doing something around and cannot control in different places, in different cultures, in different... So Cornelius was this man and they received the Holy Spirit. And, and the gospel started to be preached among the Gentiles. They, they were not Jews. And Acts chapter 11, finally they have the first church of Gentiles. Nobody was Jew. Nobody knew how to behave. It's easy when you go for some church and you are familiar with uh, the Christian environment. You go for a church, you know how to sing, you know how to pray, you know the songs, you know the behavior, the choreography, you know how to do the stuff. But in Antioch, everything was different because nobody was Jew. So they were all Gentiles from, from different backgrounds. 
And then from chapter 11 and the next slide, you see from uh, chapter 13 into 20, you have this man, Paul, traveling across the world. In your, book, uh, in your Bible, in the book of Acts, you see three trips, missionary trips or journeys of this apostle Paul and his uh, friends, companions traveling in many different places and have all these names and the adventure. Actually, this part of the book of Acts, if you read later on, like a film, sometimes I read, I feel like watching a Steven Spielberg movie. It's full of adventure. Uh, and you read every page, oh, what's happening? It's full of adventure. And the last trip, and the last journey, he started this church in Ephesus, such an important place, very strategic. And then from later on, we finish chapter 20, and then you see Paul going to be arrested in different places. He goes to Rome, have a shipwreck, and Acts finishes on the chapter 28. But the way that finished is weird because, you know, when you are reading a book and the, the history just finished with no and okay and that lady he does she married with that guy or, or when you're watching a netflix film and finish and you are waiting for for the conclusion of that that film oh does that guy survive and that lady she was married does she married uh, you have no end is the way that finished the book of acts yeah. looks like okay and and the rest and what happened some guys will say that Paul, he had a fourth missionary trip into Spain. But then we try to collect information here and there. It's because the history is still happening. We have all the information that we need in the scriptures and the God's revelation in the scriptures. But the history, God was still writing the history. In this time, the emperor of Rome was this guy, Nero. This beautiful guy. Nero, he started to be an emperor in the year 54 with 17 years old, spoiled boy. And then he was the emperor. In this time between 54, 64, and 68, we have lots of things happening in the New Testament. Paul writing his letters, the Gospels being writing by Mark and Matthew and all of them. In, in, in 64, in, in 54, in 64, we have the great fire of Rome. Nine days, the whole city was burning. We had in this time actually around a million of people living in Rome. And the problem was wasn't only the fire, but also people using these moments to commit crimes, to kill, rapes, robbery, everything was a mess in the year 64. So Nero, he needs to blame someone, okay, who is the guilty? And Rome, they were full of houses, all of wood, houses of wood and near to each other, so it was a great fire. And he blamed the Christians. And in this time, who was the main leader of the Christians? Paul. So when you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, I'm suffering 
even to the point of being chained like a criminal. In many parts, you see Paul saying, you can read Paul saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Great, he was a prisoner from the emperor, but in his mind, he was a prisoner of Christ. And in other words, even in the prison, Christ is sovereign. But in this point here in Timothy, he says, I'm suffering even to the point of being changed like criminal. Why criminal? Because they accused him to be the leader of this riot or whatever it was, and to put fire and run. So let's kill the Christians. And they start the persecution. In year 68, uh, Nero committed suicide. And they start to this persecution, killing everybody, killing all the Christians, kill everybody. Even Paul was killed by Nero. Peter, so all of them. But then the history keeps going, keeps going. In the year 72, we have the inauguration or the, the celebration of the launch, the Coliseum. And this name, Coliseum, if I have been in the Coliseum, Rome, if I have been there, it's massive, it's really uh, cool, but sometimes I have no idea about what happened in that place. In the year 72, they start the Coliseum. So Paul, he had no idea about this. Sometimes we think, oh, Paul and Peter, they saw this. No, they haven't. But in the year 72, they had the Coliseum. And why this name Coliseum? Because they have a Colossus or a big uh, statue of Nero there. There is no statue anymore. And a hundred days of celebration. And a hundred thousands of Christians dead in this place. Every kind of death. They were burned. They were eaten by animals. They were drowned. Every kind of, of death. A persecution started. 300 years plus something of persecution against Christians. I am taking this time machine with you. For you to understand what you have in your hands. And to remember these things every time you go to read your Bible. We are going to the five solas. Then you understand. This last week I was watching with my girls. Actually if you have kids, do this. It's free on YouTube. You don't need to pay nothing. I was watching with my girls. There's this cartoon called uh, Torch Lighters. Torch Lighters. And we were watching many stories about <clears throat> John Huss. John Wycliffe, or Corey Tenboom, or Eric Lido, or all of those who were heroes in the past, in our recent uh, history as well, about the Bible, the scriptures, about our faith, so they can understand the price the people in the past paid for us. Yes. So we have this freedom to this, so 300 plus years of persecution until someday. A new emperor comes to the power. In the year 313 or 15, his name was Constantine. And this man, he had a vision, a dream. He was about to go to the war. And this vision, this dream said, in this sign conquer. And in other words, you see this sign, Constantine, with this sign, use this symbol, this sign, and you, be, uh, you defeat the enemy, you be conqueror. And this sign is a Latin word. For Christ, Christos, is an X with a P. And then he had the idea, okay, Christ is the Christian's religion. Yeah, so let's put this in every shield of a Roman soldier, and then we go to the war. And he won the war. And after this war, he thought, okay, great. 
Christianity now is the official religion of our uh, of Roman Empire. Now, this is a good thing. We stop the persecutions. We stop to kill Christians, believers. We stop. Even the emperor has said, I, I can be a Christian as well. And now, okay, we are free. Nobody's killing us. Good. But on the other hand, we start a new kind of persecution or dangers from inside. Because when the church is together with the state, it's a big problem. Now he was giving money for Christians. Now the Christians, you don't need to pay taxes anymore. Now, oh, you have no temple, no church. We can build Christian church for you. And now, okay, your pastors, bishops, whatever is the name, you keep running away or hiding to not be killed. No, come on, come near to me. Come to the, the castle. Come, I give you honor. And now the main door of salvation was not Repentance anymore was convenience. If I become Christian, it's a status. And from Constantine, we start, he started to build this universal church to embrace everybody. He was giving power, money, everything for Christians, mainly for the priests, the pastors. Now, we don't have more that simple people following Jesus' teachings. Now, we have very influent people in the power. With Constantine. And from this point, this new church started to embrace new teachings. Who was not the same teachings that the apostles or the New Testament was teaching through centuries. They start to receive many different teachings from the paganism. In the year 600, 607, they start something called, okay, we have a, a main, we need to have a main, uh, how can I say, leader or a main priest of the church in Rome. Let's give the name of father or pope. And they start this. And they start to worship sculptures or um, statues or to worship dead, and they start to add many other teachings, and suddenly we don't have more that gospel that we had in the past for when the church was under persecution, and people had no access anymore to the scriptures, and every book or every New Testament teach, uh, um, scripture was in Latin language. People couldn't understand really well. Just some priests could read. People, they... They even could read their own language or English. They, they didn't understand nothing. So they had no access to God's word. They had a lot of cultural uh, religion. You have a state and a church together. And to receive God's favor, to receive forgiveness, to receive salvation, I just need to pay. They start to selling documents. Okay, this document is saying that how much is? Oh, I have 100 pounds. Oh, 100 pounds. You have five years of your sins forgiven. And so the Pope started to send these preachers and these priests for different parts of the empire. Saying, hey, if you need forgiveness, come. Just give us your land, your chickens, your pigs, your money. And they start to bring everything. Because the plan was, okay, we need to build a huge, a big cathedral for God here in Italy. 
Let's give the name of St. Peter's in this cathedral. No more gospel. No more faith. Just religion, religion, religion. And then we have the history, if you remember, in the school, Middle Age, Dark Age. They start to kill everybody who wasn't a Christian. They start to kill everybody who was not in agreement with the church. And people have no access to the scriptures anymore or Bible. And two, we have another, let me make short here because there's a lot, pre-reformers. And then we have the reformers and after the reformers as well. Strong, wise men of God that God was raising to bring back the Bible and the gospel and the faith. But let me focus on this man, which is the main one, let's say. Uh, um, Martin Luther. He was a priest. He was a Catholic priest. He had no peace in his heart. He was always feeling guilty. He didn't know about the grace of God and the forgiveness of sin. So every day he used to go for the, uh, to confess his sin to the, the other priest. Every day. And the other priest said, come on, come back here with the real thing. I don't want to hear your, your stories anymore. Because he was looking for something. He was looking for God. Even he was around religion. And someday... He read the New Testament. And the text that he read was this text that we read this morning now. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So, no more bills to pay. No more performance to give for the church. And he was keep reading. When he read verse 17, and this part, the righteous will live by faith. This was a shock was an atomic bomb in his heart. He said, okay, by faith. Only by faith. So I don't need to do things to receive God's approval. I don't need to behave well. I don't need to please God with my sacrifices. It's only by faith. It's too easy. Cannot be. And he was reading and reading and reading. Maybe you are... A church attender for many years. Maybe you are near to the Savior, but far away from the salvation. Maybe you are part of this religious environment for many, many, many years, but you still don't have a new heart, a new spirit, a new mind. You haven't born again yet, but you know everything about church, everything about religions, but you feel that there is something, that you need something in your heart. You still don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got baptized. You have a good behavior. You try to be a good citizen and to pay your taxes. But there is still something in your soul. I need to born again. I don't know how. I still don't know the God's power. I still have something in me that I don't know what is. You need a new nature. You need repentance. Is the only way. Repentance. In Acts says that now he commands all people and everywhere to repent. God's not suggesting. God's not asking. He commands you need to repent of your sins. And everywhere. All people. 
Huh? Only those who are, you can clearly see, oh, he's a sinner because he's using cocaine, he's cheating his wife, or the, no, 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 all people. We are so sophisticated and well-behaved, but we need to repent of many things. Sometimes I feel that in this local church, we are uh, every weekend coming here, talking with you in the camera here on YouTube or here in the main hall, like that guys in the Old Testament, the Bible says the watchmen crying out, repent, repent, the judgment's coming. God's wrath is coming. The Bible calls the, the, the balls of wrath of God are coming. Uh, there is a judgment coming. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. And it's true. This morning, look to the cross. There is hope. There is salvation. There is new life. Look to Jesus this morning. I have been a pastor for many years. Do you know my saddest feeling? I don't remember the last time when someone came to me to talk, Danny, I want to be more holy. I, I want to be, I want to learn how to raise my children to be God's prophet in the future. I don't remember. Everything's about projects, work, dreams, traveling, marriages, emotional wounds. Nobody tells me, Danny, how can I be more holy? How can I repent of my sin? How can I, be my, how can I give my time or my money for a church planting project? What God is doing around the world? I want to do something. Everything's shallow. Nothing about repentance. Nothing about, I'm struggling to overcome this sin in my life. Everything is about what God can give me. When I read the gospel, when I see the history, sometimes I feel ashamed. Not the gospel, but about my faith. Sometimes I feel I still don't get it. Oh Lord, how I, how I want to see your church thirsty of your presence, of you more than the, all the other stuff. We are so rooted here, Lord. Please do something, Holy Spirit. After this, he came on the 31st of October, uh, 1517, and he put nine five theses or nine five uh, theses in the door of the church. The door of the church was the Facebook on those days. Okay, it's where the people could read the messages. Because on the 1st of November was the day of all saints. Everybody was going to the church. So he put there why he was not in agreement with that religion anymore. And they tried to translate, and they did actually, the Bible in German. And start the pillars. Later on, they start the pillars of our faith. What are the pillars? What are the pillars of the Protestant faith? And I want to invite Anna Ryder, my dear sister, please, to come to the stage. I'm looking to the clock, no worries. <laughs> Scripture alone, only by the Bible, only by the Scriptures. Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and glory only to God. These men, through the centuries, they start to build this kind of teaching and doctrine. And today, in a so diverse world, when you have so many preachers on YouTube, maybe you are going home today watching 
in your car or listening to some another teaching or preaching, it's so good to be back to the foundations of our faith. Only by scriptures I can be saved. Now, you see these two tables here. These two tables. Here is the only way you can be saved. Here is the only way. What do you think these tables are? It's a piece of bread and a grape juice. What do you think they represent? <clears throat> Let me read for you. This is the toughest part for any preacher to do. Every time I see this table, I imagine the cross. Can you imagine in your mind if you had the cross of Jesus right here now? And you see Jesus and the cross. Naked. Bleeding. We have a very European idea about the cross. It was such a humiliation. The cross. The body there or the person there before die. Bleeding full of excrement. It was a public humiliation, humiliation from Rome. My Lord was there. The Bible says that before the cross, the Roman soldiers, they were beating him, mocking on him. Guess who is hitting you? Boom. They put this thorn of, uh, 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 um, this crown of thorn on his head. Torture, humiliation. Every time I look to this table, I remember the cross. If you were now, 2,000 years ago, seeing Jesus on the cross, would you joke? <laughs> would you be just passive? Oh, by the way, we have communion today. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. Listen to this. The Lord Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had give thanks, given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Nobody was kind with the body of my Savior. They broke it. Which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. To be part of this without remember of the cross, there is no meaning. It's just religion. For when, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body of, and the blood of, Lord, of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine, examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. I want to invite you for the, to, do this, to do this now. Let's close our eyes for a moment. If you can, 
put your knees on the ground. If you cannot, you can sit on your chair, that's fine. And I want to invite you now to look at yourself, to remember of your sins, to ask for the forgiveness, to repent of your sins before you come. You are not worthy, I am not worthy. He is, but this is the moment before we come to look to the cross of Jesus. I'll give you a few seconds to pray by yourself in silence. And look into the watch, don't worry, I'll give you this few minutes. Thank you, Jesus. There is salvation on the cross. Hope. A new life. Because of your blood, we are here. Give us always the privilege of remember what you have done for us. You are worthy, Lord. Thank you for the cross. I want to invite you to come. But as for my dear sister Nareide to sing the next song, whilst she's singing, you can come. You have these two tables. You can have your bread and the, the cup. While you sing this song, then I come here for the last prayer. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then, go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. That means... Yes, you can have eternal life. Yes, you can be saved. Yes, your, your sins are forgiven on the cross. There is a new hope for your life, my friend. So come to Jesus. If you are watching this, come to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Left, live on the, the feet of the cross. All your burdens, all your past, all your guilty, everything to Him on the cross. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus can heal. Jesus is alive. Jesus can visit your family. Jesus can give you a new life. Life and a new hope because he is alive we are his church and we are alive as well we rose because we were dead in our sins and transgressions because of the grace and God's mercy and favor we have a new life in Jesus Christ may God bless you may the comfort and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this morning in Jesus name Amen